The 307 RPG Podcast is streamed live every Sunday morning on twitch.tv slash 307RPG at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. You can also find us at our website, 307RPG.com, on YouTube, and on most podcasting apps. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. I'm Zach. <laughs> Zach is in his own little world right I'm now. T- <laughs> Just trying to get ready, kind of. He's tr- still trying to find his headphones. I'm still trying. Yeah. Ah, there they are. All right. For this week, our topic is going to be a first look at legend lore from Onyx Path. We re- recently received the backer PDF. We thought it'd be good to take a look at that. Uh, but before we do, let's take a look at the RPG news, because we do have some things to talk about when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons this week. We did mention last week that there was going to be a new source book announced on Tuesday. We did get that information. It is Critical Role, Call of Netherdeep. And here to tell us about all this book is Nolan. Oh, hey, this is me talking to you about the book. As, as we take a look at this here, they did announce it. They did a nice job of kind of talking about what's coming. I realize that I know very little about the world itself and the story. I know more about the actual players who play the game, and you could have put them probably anywhere, and it wouldn't have made any difference to me as far as what it was because I was kind of way into the story, not necessarily the world. Um, So Matt Mercer did put out a nice little narrative video talking about the creation of this world and why it is what it is. I think it was no more than like 12 minutes. Um, So it was a nice little background piece on it. But with this book, it sounds like it's going to be a level one through 12 campaign set in Exandria. And I, I don't know who actually wrote the story or if they just wrote it with blessing. Um, I, I, I'm, guessing with blessing obviously but uh anyway uh yeah so obviously i believe it was with blessing uh, but i don't know how much was actually written or if it was written by anybody from the show yeah i don't know i didn't another one through 12 campaign which i was a little disappointed in but set in a new world so i'm curious to see some of the variations i did enjoy listening to how the story or the world was kind of created it does parallel kind of what i've thought Oh, that lines up with fantasy, and here's a little bit of a few things differently. But I'll be curious to see the sales on this, because if it is, you know, if it taps into any of what the market is for Critical Role, then... I wonder if we will see more in the future. Uh, so just uh, real quick, I jumped over to D&D Beyond to see if I could see who wrote this book, and it doesn't say who necessarily who wrote it. It does say that it's inspired by the campaigns of the hit series Critical Role. This adventure begins in the ways of, of Zorus. Zorus. Zorhas, okay, and leads to the glimmering oasis city of Ancoral on the continent of Marquette. So obviously it takes place in Tal'Darai, which we expected, and from there into a sunken realm of gloom, corruption, sorrow known as the Netherdeep. Above it all, the red moon of Rudus watches, twisting the fates of those who have the power to shape the course of history. Doesn't necessarily go into who wrote it. I'm going to see if I can find that video that you were talking about that Matt Mercer I did, so I can link that into the show notes. Zach, what are your thoughts on this book? I don't know if I'm interested in playing in the world, but again, I'm not really interested in playing in any of like those kind of worlds. I don't want to play in Kryn either, but I think I think it's uh, I think it's a very good sign for the folks at Critical Role because if this sells well, and I think it will, it's not just like one more feather in their cap. It's it's more evidence that they're doing the right thing. So, well, and it's like, not I, 
I asked this question a while ago, like, how successful does Critical Role have to be before Wizards of the Coast demands that they have a hand on the wheel? And when that time comes, how much leverage will Critical Role have to be like, hey, you you want Exandria? Like, you're going to have to pay for it. Which is what... I think we've seen that happen in the past where, where like, Crin's a great example, right? Where Wizards of the Coast had told uh, Weiss and Hickman, hey, this is how it's going to go. And they're like, mm, no. And so you saw a lot of a lot of disputes and lawsuits mm-hmm. and things like that. So that is a possibility that we would see something like that. Yeah. And I don't think I think the fact that I, I'm pretty sure Matt Mercer like owns it. And that it's being right. licensed. But at what point is Watsy just going to be like, hey, guys, like you got to we got to figure something out. And at that point, can Matt Mercer and Marisha Ray and Travis, Travis Willingham, just be like, sure. But like, but where's our job title for when like when we're running Watsy? Is that- you know, <laughs> but, you know, the other thing that can happen and, and we've seen it with the Taladry Source book is they can just go to another publisher they can so watch it could be like hey we want this we want this this is what we're willing to pay and and the folks at critical role can be like you know what no we want to yeah. keep it we want full control over it um unless you're willing to you know meet these demands we'll take it to this publisher who's already said that that yes they will meet those demands and and at the end yeah. of the day nobody's going to care that wizards of the coast is publishing their critical role book it's the critical role book. They're still going to buy it. The Tal Dry source book was insanely popular and it was produced by, uh, what was it? Cubicle seven, I think, or no green Ronin. Maybe that sounds right to me. From and the I think at the end of the day, earlier. they what started with pathfinder. So, right. Right. Not afraid of going, they've played some star Trek games. They've played some vampire games. Like they're not afraid of picking up dice and doing whatever. So yeah. I think right now this is again, it'll depend on the sales, but, I could see us having a long tail in this world versus Forgotten Realms going forward because there's more books coming out. There's more uh, new seasons coming out. There's an animated series coming out. They're doing more for D&D than D&D is doing for D&D. And yeah. so, or Wizards is anyway. So I, I think you kind of just stay out of their way and hang on to their coattails. And if you can snag a little bit of that, you know, fire, uh people people will buy this just because of the name um yeah and again i i don't know i'm not adverse to it i just don't know anything about the world and so i'm super curious to see a tale in it um and i think a lot of the stuff that i've seen them do i've really enjoyed as well their takes on the game you know resurrection spells and that kind of stuff have been pretty big moments of this is how it works in our world because it's death needs to mean something you know so i don't know i'm not i'm not opposed to it Again, we played the one shot. What was that? Uh, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. And That's I didn't. Right, I did. didn't feel like you know. It wasn't one of those things of again. What I planned Forgotten Realms. I'm just waiting for elements to just show up and fix things because that's what he should do. I didn't, you know, I've never felt like there's a character in critical role. Like Grog's not going to show up and be like, "Oh, you're doing things wrong." He's going to be like, "The fuck are you doing?" And walk off. You know, like their characters just don't give a shit. Like in general, they're not those kind of like overarching Superman heroes. I don't, you know. So it's it 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 feels like it could be Scarred Lands. It could be whatever you plot me in a, da- a town called 
Yoloville and there's a necromancer there and we got to go kill it. It doesn't matter what realm it's in. As long as the story is good, I'm going to enjoy it. So The book is scheduled to be released March 15th, 2022. Uh, you can pre-order this book on D&D Beyond. I think it's $29.95 if you do it that way. I do believe the purchase also unlocks a set of D&D Beyond dice that you can use with the game or in any game that you're playing as well. Um, as you can also pre-order it, I would imagine, at your friendly local game store. There's also a link in the show notes to order it through Amazon if you want to go that way. In other D&D news, it would appear Watsy snuck one by us recently as they also released the book Minsk and Boo's Journal of Villainy. This is a 158-page wow, book, and it is a journal of Minsk and Boo. Uh, Minsk is a ranger, and Boo is his space hamster, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it is... A oh. miniature giant space hamster. My bad. A miniature giant space hammer. Uh, ham hamster. Wow. Space hammer. Wee. <laughs> um, yeah. And it is. Vince got cracked on the head a couple times. And so. Well, yeah, looks like it. And then the book is edited, air quotes here, by Volo of all people. In real life, the book is written by James Olin, who is formerly of BioWare and is the current lead of Archetype Entertainment, Archetype Entertainment the video game studio Watsy formed in 2020. This book is available in PDF for $14.95, softcover for $34.95, and hardcover for $44.95. This is available on DriveThruRPG. There is a link in the show notes. Included in this journal are four cities, including Athka... Yep. Uh, and Baldur's Gate, 10 groups, uh, ten group patrons led by some of Minsk and Boo's old friends, a dozen new monsters, six archvillains, and 11 dastardly henchmen, and a partridge in a pear tree. The book was released as part of Watsy's annual drive to help Extra Life. Extra Life unites thousands of gamers around the world to play games in support of their local Children's Miracle Network hospital. Since inception in 2008, Extra Life has raised more than $30 million for sick and injured kids. Zach, let's start with you this time. What are your thoughts on this book? I think... There was like, yeah, this is coming out, but it does seem like it just came out of nowhere. I don't know. I played Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 a lot. I'm always happy to see Minsk and Boo. So from my understanding, it does have the stat blocks of people from the game. So you can see where they ended up. It does tell a little bit of story. So it kind of is the closure. Um, for the most part of what I've seen for reviews of it, uh, people like it more than the actual produce sword coast adventures guide um just as far as big monsters great story i mean it, it was just kind of again um if if dnd could or if, if wizards could steal beckett's jihad diary style things more and tell it in a story and give you those blocks i this is kind of what it had a feel of uh as far as that goes well, this proves to me that Wizards is very capable of putting out something other than a $50 hardback book. I, uh, I believe there is a path to becoming a lich in here that oh, they, got, okay. they got a bunch of stuff. So, you know, it is, again, the Journal of Villainly, uh, and it, it gives you a guide on if that's the path your caster wants to take or whoever. There you go. So I, I saw that catch some traction on Reddit as well. I was like, well, now that it's out there, yeah. how many people are going to do it? Yeah, it'd be I mean, why not? And also it's cool that they do a thing for extra life every year. And this is a cool way to do it. Um, it's not just like a fun book, it's also part of the proceeds are going to charity. I believe all of the proceeds are going to all charity. All the proceeds are going to charity. There we go. 
Yep. And and at fourteen ninety five, like if you just wanted to pick up the PDF, that that's a reasonable PDF. And 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 again, you know, we've talked about you know producing these soft cover books before. Thirty four ninety five for the soft cover version of this book. Um, this isn't going to be a flimsy, you know piece of crap book. It's going to be a nice soft cover book. I've purchased soft cover books through drive through RPG before and they're quality. Mm-hmm. So I think it's cool. Um, I like the idea of it. I like the idea of creating these little books like this. This is something that obviously uh, TSR and Wizards of the Coast have done in the past with Dungeons and Dragons, these little side books that you could purchase that weren't just source books and they're fun. They're great. I mean, I think the original second edition monster manual was actually loose leaf papers with three holes punched in that you would put like you would buy the sheets and just like stick them in your own three ring binder. Yeah, you'd buy your fiend folios and put them in there. Yeah. So it's not like they haven't done stuff like this before. Not everything right. needs to be a 50 to 60 dollar hardback book. Completely agree. And it just blows me away that, I mean, we see a lot of other studios doing it. Wizards of the Coast, I would imagine, could tap into quite a bit if they started putting out, you know, less expensive books that expanded the world a little bit more. Well, and I think we've, they've done it in the past. And so this is the first edition I've seen they not do it. I have some level three through five, here's an adventure, you know, and you'd go in like, oh, this is one through three, this is three through five, this is five through seven, I'll grab this one through three, this three through five, this one here, I'll spend $50 and I've got a little campaign. I have no idea what books I got. I don't know if they're connected at all or not, but here's how I'm going to get you there and I'll tell the story. And that was just kind of the fun random adventure creator that I would do back in the day. And so maybe it didn't do well, who knows? I mean, maybe mathematically speaking, it was terrible and we just miss it, but I think maybe book sales, I don't know, maybe they got spooked from fourth edition or maybe they looked at all of like the money they spent in 3.5 making a book a month and just realized that it wasn't worth it. Could be. Could be. I know I've I've seen, you know, gone into game stores where they have just this massive volume of tomes for for 3.5 or fourth edition or whatever. Uh, And of course, fifth edition is not quite there but at the end of the day the world is broad enough the world is you know the planes are deep enough that we could have smaller books obviously you'd have to temper that with what's going to sell you know because at the end of the day it's a business but creating something like this and even so i've been i've been reading quite a bit this is curse of strad revamped right i've been reading in preparation for our DD live and i wish this was a little bit thicker cover but at the end of the day this is the kind of stuff that i would look for is these types of paperbacks that I would spend $25 to $30 on because it still gets me what I'm after. And I think the the premium book should be the hardback book. Yeah, as it sits right now, there are 15 big book adventures from 5e. And how many were there for 3.5? Hundreds? Yeah. Looks like there's 14 source books, 15 adventures that actually were big book, not counting like their little print on demand. I'm just looking at D&D Beyond. So again, you'd have a 35 book library if you owned it all at this point. So it has been out for a little bit. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's been six years. Mm hmm. All right. Well, that is all the D&D news I found. It still has some pretty big stuff with two books coming out. Uh, Did you guys see anything else that I'm missing? No, I think announcing I don't think they want to flood the airwaves with too much stuff after they announce critical rulebook. Right. 
Okay, well, let's bounce over to Onyx Path real quick. Uh, Apocalyptic Record for Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition is doing very well over on Kickstarter. Uh, If you're a fan of Werewolf 20th, you should go check this one out. The project is about to break $80,000 in funding, which, of course, means more stretch goals. I wanted to mention real quick, uh, because I I did get involved in another Kickstarter, which I told you guys about last week, the the LARP for Vampire uh, Mm -hmm. book. Uh, One of the things that I noticed about it is that at at $50... And I was a little disappointed at $50. There's no stretch goals. Like you don't get anything, right? You, the only way you get any stretch goals with that campaign or with that. Yeah. That campaign is by buying it at 150 bucks. I don't need multiple copies of the books. I don't need multiple PDFs. So if you're a fan of doing Kickstarters and you like the extra add-ons that you get with it, you really should look at Onyx path because they always, you know, when you buy the hardback version of the book, you get the stretch goals. A lot of times it's just a PDF and you get a, sometimes a discount to buy the book, the extra books that they, that they produce. But you always get the stretch goals and they usually put out some top quality stretch goals. So, I, you know, I'm not trying to promote Onyx Path or anything, but it, does, it was one of the things that struck me. I was like, wow, you know, I'm spending this money on this book and helping them fund it. And I'm just getting the book. I mean, at the end of the day, they're not obligated to give me a stretch goal. That's my yeah. choice. Right. So. But. I do like the extra benefit of, and that's why I do Kickstarters is to get those things because they tend to be Kickstarter specific things. Anyway, enough of me rambling. Yeah, what's he buying bulk? Yeah. Free League. Uh, I noticed that our friends over at Free League have announced the official Blade Runner RPG. I have a link to the video in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. It it says, this is the Blade Runner role-playing game, a neon noir wonderland that'll take your breath away, one way or another, an evocative world of conflicts and contrasts that dares to ask the hard questions and investigate the powers of empathy, the poisons of fear, and the burdens of being human during inhuman times. An iconic and unforgiving place playground for endless possibilities that picks you up, slaps you in the face and tells you to wake up time to live or time to die. Uh, are either of you fans of the Blade Runner movies? Yes, very much so. I have not seen them. I, I know. You know, I know. I've, I've tried to watch the original one a couple times and I guess I just decided to do it late at night and I always fall asleep. So I need to go back oh. and watch that. I, I know. Back off, Zach. I. Yeah. Blade Runner is great. It is one of those things where you have to actually track down the one that Ridley Scott wanted to make, like the extra special director's cut. Because I think there's three different versions of this movie. And like the original theatrical release is just awful. And it's awful on purpose because Ridley Scott was hoping that if he did a bad enough job when the producers gave him all of their notes, that they'd be like, this is terrible, do it again. And then he'd be able to make the one that he wanted to in the editing room. And they were just like, yeah, great. Send it out. So there's like this awful narration voiceover, the whole movie. It ends on a ridiculous note. It's just, you have to track down the director's cut. But it's... So it looks like there are work print prototype version, San Diego sneak peek version, U.S. theatrical release, international release, U.S. broadcast version, their director's cut, and the final cut version of the show. You're going to want the final cut. Okay. I know. It it makes it very difficult. Um, The sequel's actually even better. I know that might be be heresy, but 
I think it's even better. Denis Villeneuve is just probably the best director I've ever watched. He's I making will... Dune. He Dune. His his Dune is just about to come out. I am so excited for that. And I will say, if you get a chance, uh, just about any extended version or director's cut of a Ridley Scott is worth your time. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, was a Kingdom of Heaven with Orlando Kingdom of Bo- Heaven is a different movie. So good, like it's like it's like extended edition Lord of the Rings versus theatrical, and it is a night and day difference. And it, arguably one of the top five movies for me all time is the director's cut. Wow, it's good. It's a great. Yeah, story. it's it's rough how bad Kingdom of Heaven is in comparison to what he wanted to put out. It just it just seems the man just seems to be cursed. Yeah. So talking about old movies that we haven't watched during Rocky Horror rehearsal, uh, our director, Aaron Odom, mentioned that he had gone back and watched Hellraiser and he'd never he said he'd never seen it before. And everybody was giving him a hard time. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you haven't seen this. I was like, well, hold on. I never watched it either. Uh-huh. So in, in complete fairness and full transparency. I was terrified of horror movies growing up, like absolutely terrified of them. I would watch a horror movie and I'd be fucked up for months. Like completely fucked up, like whatever that monster was, was under my bed, was down the hall, was in the woods for months. I So I just avoided horror movies. So this weekend, last night, actually, I, I told my wife, I'm like, we're going to watch Hellraiser. She's like, what? Because <laughs> she doesn't do horror either. I'm like, yeah, we're going to watch Hellraiser. And she was she spent most of the time on her phone. That fucking movie is awesome. Hellraiser is great. Yeah, just the concept behind it all. I was like, this is great. This is such a good movie. And, and of course, Sheree was like, eh, whatever. I I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic movie. I don't I've heard that the sequels to it aren't as good, that the first movie is kind of where they should have stopped. But holy shit, it's a, it's a good movie. So I need to go back and watch Blade Runner, which is kind of the point of the story. So I can actually say, yes, I've seen it. I've watched, I've attempted to watch it multiple times and just always fall asleep. So anyway, Blade Runner, the RPG will come out in 2022. Uh, Go ahead, Zach. I was going to say, like, I don't know. This is one of those things where I'm not sure what kind of game this RPG is going to be. Like, are you trying to escape the Blade Runners? Are you supposed to play as one? You are a Blade Runner. You are a Blade Runner. I think there's a lot going on. But I think if Modiphius had grabbed this, it would just be another 2D20 system of roll two dice, tell me if you succeeded kind of book. But this is Free League, so who knows? Uh, So I do have a a link to the video, or actually they have the video in the show notes and a link to the official Blade Runner RPG website. I encourage you both to go look at that website and look at, I mean, you, you will immediately go, yep, this is a Free League game. Because yeah. the artwork is immediately recognizable, but it is very distinctly Blade Runner. Like you look at that and you're like, okay, I totally get the impression that this is Blade Runner. Yeah. And that's like, I don't like, I think they're batting a thousand so far. I've never read a Free League thing and been like, wow, they really phoned it in this time. Right. Like, right. I'm sure that, I'm sure we're in for an incredibly adept well-made book with in-depth mechanics that make sense 
so we've seen this a couple of times now where, and Nolan has said this a few times where he's like, I just don't know what kind of story you would tell when we're talking about games. Changeling was one that Nolan said that in and um, altered carbon was another one that we talked about that, you know, it's hard to think about altered carbon and not tell the story of Kovach, right? So I'd imagine looking at Blade Runner is going to be hard to look at this and not tell the story of Harrison Ford's character. However, I think as we start to dive into these worlds and we look at them, like I'm excited to see the supplements that that Renegade Games or Hunters Entertainment, sorry, has coming out for Altered Carbon to see what they've developed with that. Right. I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to do with Blade Runner because it is an iconic science fiction movie, like iconic. And it's hard to imagine anything that exists outside of that movie. But yet there's a whole world that exists outside of that movie. So I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. And, and maybe as we get closer to release, we'll we'll reach out to Matthias and see if somebody from Free League wants to come tell us all about it. So, Matthias, if you're listening, <laughs> let's pop over to Chaosium real quick. Uh, Chaosium recently released The Children of Fear, which is a classic scenario for Call of Cthulhu being brought into 7th edition. I just grabbed this from the notes. It says The Children of Fear is an epic multi-part campaign for Call of Cthulhu. The scenarios within explore the myths and legends of Central Asia and Northern India. You can find this book and all other Call of Cthulhu products by heading over to Chaosium's website. I didn't really see anything else for Chaosium, but I also want to spend some time talking about Paizo. Because some shit happened at Paizo this week, or I shouldn't say this week, this has been building. And I think it's kind of important that we talk about this. We don't often talk about Paizo unless Nolan's telling us about the latest video game that he's playing for Pathfinder. But recently, more than 30 employees of Paizo have formed the United Paizo Workers Labor Union to address working conditions within the company. Now, I grabbed this from the press release. I'll read this quickly and then we'll talk about this. Though efforts to organize by the Paizo workforce had already taken had already been underway for some time, the sudden departures of several longstanding employees in September and then subsequent allegations of managerial impropriety by former Paizo employees threw into stark relief the imbalance of the employee employer relationship. These events, as well as internal conversations among Paizo workers, have uncovered a pattern of inconsistent hiring practices, pay inequity across the company, allegations of verbal abuse from executives and management, and allegations of harassment ignored or covered up by those at the top. These findings have further galvanized the need for clearer policies and stronger employee protections to ensure that Paizo staff can feel secure in their environment. Changes have been promised internally and externally by the executive team. However, the only way to ensure that all workers' voices are heard is collective action. It is in this spirit that the workers of Paizo have united to push for real changes at the company. The UPW is committed to advocating on behalf of all staffers and invites all eligible Paizo employees to join and push for better, more sustainable working conditions. The union requests the broad support of the tabletop community and urging Paizo management to voluntarily recognize the United Paizo workers and to negotiate in good faith with the union so that they may build a better workplace together. Uh, and of course, I have a link to the entire press release in the show notes. All right, that's a lot to unpack. Uh, so Nolan, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think you just sad that it's needed, but I guess that's part of where we're at with this stuff. People have issues with <laughs> apparently some authoritative issues in those type of situations, but hopefully it works out being better for them. I just wish it would go away, but it's not. So this is where we get. Zach, you got to do it. Like, I think, I think Paizo, their responses to everything have been, at least it's all sounded right. 
like their official response to this was, hey, we're not going to talk about the allegations that are going on because they are an ongoing investigation, but we are working to address them. We're not just going to sweep this under the rug. We're very sorry for all the damage that has been done. But at the same time, like, you can't trust them. You only have to look at Ubisoft and Activision Blizzard, and even to an extent like Naughty Dog, who haven't been accused of such things, but at the same time have been accused of straight-up labor violence to get The Last of Us 2 made. Like, you only have to look at people in the entertainment industry that don't have a union to see what's going to happen to you. Iatsi straight up like sat on the sideline because there was another vote to strike amongst um there was a vote to strike a few months ago actually for a lot of people in the film industry and they voted no and iatsi took one look at the situation that was going on said these people cannot go out of line and get this strike on their own so we're going to do it for you if you have to look at one part of the entertainment industry with a very strong union and you see how those workers are treated and then you look at the video game side and you see how they're treated which one are you going to pick like it's got you got to do it i'm i think we are all working a place where it's low it's small enough that any of our concerns could be brought to management on an individual like one to one basis and probably there's not as great a power indifference. Like, I could probably go to my boss and get some things changed. Can't do that in a multi-million dollar international company. If every worker isn't bargaining together, you won't get anything done. That's true. Yeah, unfortunately, like, this is just how it has to be. You got to do it. You know, I, I read through this and they talk about verbal abuse from executives and management, allegations of harassment ignored or covered up by those at the top. Uh, they talk about inconsistent hiring practices, pay inequity across the company. So I think about like how Pathfinder came about, like Pathfinder was like, oh, wait, we love D&D 3.5, right? We want to keep this. And that's why Paizo came, came together. Correct. Is, am I wrong? I think that's the story that's being told. Okay. So let's just go off of that story because that's the story we've been told, right? So, and it almost sounds like, um, like these are the good guys, you know, they, these are the guys who are yeah. keeping this, this really popular D and D system alive for everybody. And like, Hey, we're doing this because you know what, this was so cool and we want this and we're just going to keep it alive. And that's awesome. But then I read this and I'm like, what did the fucking trolls and neckbeards all get together? And they're actually the ones who run Paizo and they're just like doing whatever the hell they want because, hey, look, we finally have all the power in the world. I just think it's more common than is talked about. You hear from art directors, you hear it from everywhere where people are treated poorly. So, you know, and, and I think I, get, I just get frustrated, like because I hear about like working conditions, not just in the United States or, or anywhere. And it's it's. We always there's just always seems to be this. We are going to take advantage of you no matter what. And I get very frustrated and I face this in my own industry where I'm constantly feeling like I'm advocating for the employees where it's I'm tired of the practice of let's hire them for as cheap as possible. You know, let's not worry about paying them at least a decent wage. Let's not worry about paying them even a, 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 a remotely fair wage. Um What's that? They'll take the job for they want 14. Well, 
this person over here who's going to do half the work, call in sick all the time and never show up will be at 10. Let's hire them. Mm-hmm. And it's bullshit. So yeah, it- if if this is, I mean, obviously the Paizo workers feel like they have a very strong case. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done this. And so I'm I'm all for it. If, if it brings about and affects positive change in the industry, then by God, do it. And it, it does sound like these concerns were brought about and that Paizo's management cleaned house and tried to get rid of, you know, the things that were causing the problem. Like, it sounds like the accusations are against, like, former management. Here's if, the thing. Like, even if the company is going to do the right thing and get rid of these abusers, you can't trust that they'll do it again. And that's what I was about to say. Yeah, I you know, maybe they did take it, take the action. But at the end of the day, the, the I think it's a good idea for the employees to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we are seeing a I am hoping that we are seeing a larger trend in a lot of different industries. Because I, I, video game creators, they also need a union. I think we're seeing especially as we you know, we're still what we're in the year two of this pandemic. 2.5, whatever it is. And people are frustrated. They're fed up. And I think we're finally seeing people willing to say, no, Mm -hmm. I don't just have to take a job because you want to give me a job at this pitiful wage. This is what I'm worth. Either pay me for that or, oh, look, you don't have people in your company working. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, we're seeing that across every industry in the world, right? So why wouldn't gaming be different? You know, people don't feel like they're getting paid with the, the, what they are owed or deserved. So they're going to or, or or being treated like shit. So they're going to fight for it. Well, and I think you look at I mean, I think you look at just even job interview processes now versus 10 years ago. First callback, second callback, it sounded you and three other people. And now it's like, ah, I'll give a fuck. You're hired. Like, you know, they you know, we're we're in such a different mode now where I feel like Again, the attitude, and we see it with World of Warcraft. Oh, you want to come work for World of Warcraft? We can treat you like shit because you get to work for us. Like, you were, you're privileged to be around Pathfinder. Or, you know, I would have a blast working for such and such company because I'm a fan. I would probably, I would end up tolerating more. Um, or if you're a female breaking into that industry, you tolerate more because you already have enough hill to get there that you're finally like, well, I'm going to build my resume. I'll deal with it and I'll move on. Um but yeah. this is, you know, I grew up playing World of Warcraft. I finally get a job at World of Warcraft. This is my dream job. You know, you just, you, know, you deal with it because you've built it up. And it seems, and I think that's the hard thing is, again, these places, you, you finally get there. You get to work on the project that you love and end up, you know, having having the curtain pulled back. And it's not the not the show that you thought it was or work environment or whatever. And so it's unfortunate. It hurts. It hurts, so, I guess, right? Like that's the big thing of like then we get in these awkward things of like, do you support it? Do you, you know, I kept my WoW sub, am I supporting the higher ups? But I'd also don't want like if everybody quits WoW and all those people don't have jobs, where do they go? You know what I mean? So you get in this awkward thing. Yeah. Now all of a sudden as a consumer, you feel weird or dirty because of the higher actions of a bunch of people that power tripped or whatever. It isn't what you thought it was. Uh I don't know. It's it sucks. It sucks that it's happening. But more people talking about it, the more this stuff comes out, the more it has a chance of getting fixed. So So I get the um when uh Bungie, the guys that made Halo, were in talks with Activision to like do a merger, 
which would eventually like Activision, which would buy them out, and then they would make Destiny. The uh, the composer, um, Bungie's in-house composer, who has helped found the company, his name's Marty. He has been talking with these uh, Activision executives, and his thing throughout the whole thing, he's like, hey, you know, like, we are the golden goose. Don't mess with the golden goose. We'll make you money. You don't have to interfere with everything that's going on. He's like, let's just let us do our thing. We'll make great art. And they're sitting at dinner, and it's just Marty and this executive. And they're sitting there, and the guy says to him, I know you've been saying that, like, don't mess with the golden goose, right? And he goes, yeah, man, like, we'll make you a bunch of money. He goes, I get that. But sometimes there's nothing better than a good slice of foie gras. Like, that, that apparently that's a quote. Like, and these are the guys that, like, are going to be in charge of WoW? You really think that those people at the top are going to be like, yeah, you know what? Like, we don't. Let's make sure that everything's done right. Like, no, they're there to make money. They don't care how. And that 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 we're here to make money and we don't care how mentality has infiltrated American business from the top down. And until that changes, like there's a bunch of companies that, yeah. I will not buy an Activision Blizzard product until I know for a fact that those people from the Cosby suite are not in are not employed anymore. Because unfortunately, in a capitalistic system, like you have to engage with it, and well, so that, your engagement becomes a moral choice. I think you can feel it, and I think that's the refreshing thing of like you'll see a certain game come out of nowhere. And it catches people by storm and it's like, this feels, you know, this feels good. This feels, you know, uh, Valheim was a great, like, where did that come from? This is a good game. Um, and then you get stuff 80s. that comes out with, uh, you know, EA buys Bioware. And all of a sudden, the best way to play Star Wars Battlefront is through microtransactions. And you're just like, they're dead. Like, that's good. That's gone. Now it's 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 over uh you were seeing it with world of warcraft where it's like well every two years you have to put out expansion whether we're ready or not we don't care about content it's coming out we'll tell you how to play our game and you can come along the line and now you see final fantasy where the the guy comes out and goes yeah i'm excited for the release to be done of the new expansion it's going to be great um i know there's a lot of other really good games out there that i can't wait to play and get inspired so we can make our game better like as we all like progress forward and create the thing we want we want to make sure you guys are happy versus you know, World of Warcraft's type of mentality has been that egotistical, arrogant side of like, uh, you know, we're going to make the game that we like, you're going to enjoy it. And then you see that kind of stuff of like, this is how we're going to play the game. Oh, we're making some quality of life changes, quality of life changes. Oh, we're putting everything you told us about in the alpha and beta into the game. So you guys finally quit complaining. New expansion comes out. We'll repeat the cycle. So that, I don't know. I don't know the arrogance. I don't know what it is. But again, that, 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 I can't imagine having Activision breathing down your neck telling you next expansion. Look at Call of Duty games every year. Look at EA Madden. We didn't change anything. We just threw 2022 on it. Put it out. They'll buy it because they'll buy it. We quit innovating. You know, I mean, we quit innovating. We quit adding. We quit doing. And you actually get less now. Uh, one of my favorite features, the old Madden games or any of those games was always tell your story thing, right? You get to play the little RPG. That stuff's gone. Uh, the WWE games you used to build your wrestler and work through the ranks. And now it's like, Oh yeah, no. And now updated with new graphics, 2022. And it's like, but where's the content? 
it's the same game. It's the same buttons. It's the same whatever. Just throw it out there. They'll buy it. We didn't have to put any work into it. We have less people doing it. We have less people doing quality control. We have less people in customer service. We've got them addicted. We've got them hooked. Just put it out there. And they buy it. And, and buy we it. buy it. We are consumers. Yep. Yep. And people buy it. And so if, yeah, if you can just look at an industry adjacent to yours, where you have a bunch of artists creating a product for a company to sell, and you're going to trust that the one that you work for is going to be good? No, Paizo needs to, not one, not only stay unionized, they need to start talking to everyone who even works in the tabletop RPG industry. Yeah, I think this is a good move for Paizo. I, I really do. Yeah. And I, and I, well, for the Paizo workers, I should say. And hopefully it's a good move ultimately for Paizo. If it makes them a better company, then I'm all for it. I I do hope other RPGs companies take a look at this like there have been complaints about the things that have happened at watsi before we've all heard it of course the whole blizzard thing we heard about i i do feel like this is one of the reasons why i do enjoy supporting smaller publishers and and not that they're without their their faults like we've heard complaints about onyx path before however i would rather support the smaller companies that seem to be more willing to diversify their staff and tap into talent than that company who is like, nope, this is the way it's going to be. This is how we want to do it. And if you want to be in this, you're going to get treated like crap and paid like shit until such time as you prove your worth. I don't know. I don't know what the words are here, but it just seems to me that how some of those have, have been. And and I know Blizzard has been like one of the worst. Um, so. we, we talked about a little bit with like critical role and stuff like that. There is that value of, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do, you know, I can, I can see that. Cause then it gets terrifying of just, I don't know, maybe it's just how you're built or whatever, but it's the whole idea of like having a restaurant. Like I can't imagine just having a restaurant and not being there and hoping it's getting done and just yelling at people top down. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, well, if I'm going to be there, if I'm going to own it, I'm going to work in it. I'm going to, you know, that's my uh-huh. mindset. And I feel like a lot of these things are like, it's just numbers game for them. Just put it out. We don't care. Right. Okay, well, that was a downer. (laughs) Let's move on to our topic of the night, which hopefully isn't as much of a downer. So our topic today is is Legend Lore, which is an RPG setting released by Onyx Path and using the D&D 5e rule set. Uh, Like I said earlier, we did have, oh, maybe I didn't say this. A while back, we had the developer of this game, Steffi Devon, come on the show, and she told us all about Legend Lore and setting the influence that Onyx Path had with this, uh, where Legend Lore comes from and all that. So if you're interested in learning a little bit of the history and how this came about, go back and check out that episode. The link is in the show notes. We recently received the backer PDF of this and thought it would be a good to do a first look at, as we often do. Remember, these are just our initial thoughts. We have not dug deep into this book. Uh, it's just kind of our first glance. Some technical things real quick. The book is developed by, like I said, Steffi Devon. Writers are Elizabeth Sherprad. Elizabeth, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce your last name. I apologize. Uh, Matthew Dawkins, Jacqueline Penny, Jacqueline Penny Hart, Travis Legg, Megan Mackey, Ashley May, Catriel Page, Catriel Page. Wow, I'm screwing this all up. Roman Trevisanot. Yep, still fucking it all up. Steffi Devon, Vera Vartanian, and Ashley Warren. I apologize to everybody's name who I'm who I just butchered because that was really really bad. Legend lore is actually based on a series of comics from the 80s, and the concept behind legend lore is is you are 
someone in 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 the the world in our world who has found some ability to transport themselves to the realm and that's what it's called the realm and once you're there you become a hero and if you've read any of the legend lore comics uh, zach i know you said you kind of looked into it uh, i did i do have the very first graphic novel that tells the original story of the the the, the, the kids because that's what they are and like the jock becomes the fighter and it's like he has to figure out how to use an axe for the first time. And it's, you know, things like that. And they take these very like I think that the nerd becomes the wizard or something like that. And, and so it's very stereotypical. It's very 1980s. It's very almost D&D cartoon. If you guys have ever seen any of those ish, uh, episodes. The uh, Breakfast and- Club but with axes. There you go. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, and they created this book and you can get influence of that graphic novel throughout the entire book, especially in the art. Uh, so I'm going to shut up now and turn it over to you guys. Nolan, we'll start with you. First thoughts on this book. I, I like a lot of it and a lot of it has to do with just, again, how you make a character, the idea, um, the idea of getting pulled in, to the world, not necessarily having a plan, but figuring out something along the lines of, you know, uh, sitting down. I was thinking about playing a game. Uh, my wife likes to take pictures. She's out taking photos, whatever gets pulled into this world. You have a camera and that's it. Like, good luck. What are you going to do? And so finding that either like working with it and becoming a, a, you know, a tinker or, uh, um, you know, an artificer and using the lens as a focus for magic or, you know, like all that kind of stuff of like, yeah, I, I snap a picture and lightning comes out of it now because I'm a wizard and how that stuff kind of works. I thought was really cool. Um, the idea that you are yourself in an, uh, ideal way or unideal way. Um, I remember listening to them talk about it when it was getting into a Kickstarter and it's like, I end up in the woods. I'm not doing very good because I have allergies. And it's like, well, that's a great way for, you know, air quote ranger to learn like, well, don't mess with that one. That one will give you a rash. This one makes you sneeze, you know, and that's how I became an expert. Um, there is no ranger, which, uh, I already, uh, will, uh, not say any more about that. Um, <laughs> uh, the other cool stuff about it again, I think is the concept of it makes things a lot more interesting. If I'm playing Nolan and there's a bar fight, it's going to go completely different than if I'm playing, grog the barbarian and punching like dude like listen like i'm just here to have a drink like i'm not much of a fighter like i don't give a shit about your ego fuck you man i'll just go to a different bar and there's like no combat because i'm nolan and i'm not you know grog the barbarian so i i think that stuff's interesting how you look at races everybody's just trying to live like i could see it being a lot more uh story based um what else i liked the uh i want to say the probably the the most interesting thing i liked about it was the idea of having a session zero and deciding how time pass. Um, if I'm Nolan and I get dropped into Lord of the Rings, what happens to my two boys at home? What is my sense of urgency? What is my path to figuring this out, to getting back? Can I get back? Um, I always thought, you know, that was like the biggest thing in like, uh, the Narnia story, right? They're the kids, they grow up, they become king and king, they walk through the door and now you're kids again. And it's like, I would never go back. I would never go back. And now all of a sudden I've got two kids and I'm like, I have to get home. You know, whereas like I was thinking about like with like Patrick, your kids are graduated and you end up in, you know, the Shire. Your kids are thinking you're gone missing because you're never coming home because you're going to end your way up over in Erebor. Like, you know, so I mean, it's, I thought that kind of stuff was very fascinating. They did that with, uh, was it Interstellar? 
with Matthew McConaughey where he's like on the planet and every minute you're there, it's like seven years and he's trying to get home to his daughter. Like, so the psychological aspect of just, I don't know, when I sit down to play a role-playing game, those are things that never come up that I think I want to have come up as I play other games in the future, just from a standpoint of, I have to do this because people are relying on me as a whole different sense of urgency when it's personal. So anyway, really cool story. I like the, uh, I like a lot of the subclasses, the character creation stuff is really cool. Um, there's a lot of, you get a little bit of martial arts in my, my rogue, which I thought was really cool. Uh, a little bit more magic here. The ranger did move into a fighter subclass, which I mean, yeah, probably is a little bit better for it, but I'm so mad about it. Uh, I love the uh, the the wheelchairs coming in and having that be a, a magical device. I think that's kind of a another one of those be you and that's okay. Let's make it work. So cool story. I like it. I would probably f- be fun for an interesting story to play. Zach, throw it to you. Yeah, I would like to talk about uh, showing the wheelchairs because I think I actually do think that's pretty important. Uh, so I, 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 I think. Can... I can actually speak to that a little bit because that was something that Steffi had spoken about on the podcast when we had her on. Um, when Legend Lore was written, they set out to make this a very inclusive game. Very inclusive. And so it. if you, it does. If you scroll through this book, you're going to see people of every color. You're going to see people with handicaps. You're going to see races that like don't fit the stereotypical. Like if you look at the orcs in this, they're actually well, friendly. The, the orcs yeah. are friendly and they look like little pigs. Well, giant pigs. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about the orcs in a second. Uh, so that was their intent. They wanted this to be a very inclusive setting for D&D. And I think they nailed it. I, I do too. Um, I, I also, I, I just think it's important. I think, honestly, I was expecting a lot to... When I looked at this and... Um, when I think Dungeons and Dragons actually released the first wheelchair accessible dungeon just a little bit ago, I was expecting a larger pushback in that, but I was pleasantly surprised to not, not to really find any. I think a lot of people just understand that that's something that people need to be shown. You know, like, just because someone loses their sight doesn't mean they stop living a full life. Um. So I I appreciated that. I really enjoyed it. Also, because like it's a fantasy story. Like, yeah, you came here, but your accessibility devices came as well. You have your prosthetic arm. It's not just a source of convenience anymore. It's a magical artifact. This makes you better than you were. I appreciate it. I understand, and I'm I'm glad that it's being shown. Um, Mechanically, I'm I'm not so sure uh, about the subclasses. I honestly didn't really even read some of them. Um, talking about the product itself, it's an Onyx Path book. If you don't like Onyx Path sensibilities, you're not going to enjoy this book. But the art is great. I did like the various different kinds of of art because originally the very first little bits they they are very they are very 80s graphic novelly. But it shifts very hard, very quickly to a late 2010s anime style. And the orcs being pigs, that is full on Japanese media. 
So I will say, having read the original legend lore graphic novel, that is how the orcs are portrayed. Is that okay? That is not how yep. the orcs were portrayed yep. in the book that I had read. Okay. Yeah. When you come over later today, I'll show you. Okay. Yeah. Cause um, I'm pretty sure that the one I found is a different book that is also titled legend lore. There's, there's a lot of them. Uh, so, caliber comics legend lore was actually a fairly popular comic series. I'm actually surprised it didn't become like a cartoon because it, it lends itself to that very easily. Uh, but yeah, the, so I think I read the wrong thing. You could have. They um, they had something in the late 80s, and then I think they came out with again in like 96. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yep. Because I don't think Caliber Comics is the original uh, license holder of it. Okay. But they are the current one, and they partnered with Onyx Path on this book, which is why we're able to see some of that artwork. In fact, some of the artwork is directly pulled from the comics. And it is, it's really good. Um, like the, the more pig-shaped orcs, uh, I know that's how... Um, Sword art. Well, ah, who's the guy who drew Dragon Ball Z? Akira Toriyama? Yep. That's how he drew the orcs in Dragon Quest. And then every single orc in Japanese media ever since has just been drawn like that way. There's big hairy pigs. Like, that's kind of where that came from. So maybe there's some some cross-pollination there. Uh, Maybe they came about separately, but I'm glad to see it. I like it a lot more than just, like, tusky dudes. Um, you get the I, the Warcraft orcs coming in now. Yeah. And I, I really dig like the literary tradition that Legend Lore pulls from already. The Narnias, but also like, I mean, there's literally a warlock patron that is the last unicorn. Like, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't an oath of three hearts and three lions. Or like, I know that Elric of Melbourne is a Hexblade warlock, like, like that's where that came from. But it would have been fun to like thrown that in there, thrown in there like the uh, the Eternal Champion. Make that a fighter subclass. Like, not only are you from a different world, you are the reincarnation of a man throughout several different worlds, and this is what you can do. Like, go nut. Like, I dig it. I think it also opens up itself to a world where depending on who came in different towns could have different feels. So you, you could really not get bored with the situation. Be like, Oh yeah, no, don't hand over, head over to the, the small community of new London. They're all, you know, 1800 British people who like just clump together and play soccer or football, like, you know, what I mean? or whatever, like you're just like, don't go over there. We avoid that place. Like it's, you know, you know, whatever, uh, this place over here, they're very much Western, uh, people who have ended up here from the 1970 Cowboys of, you know, the plains of Wyoming. And it's like, that's where all the gunslingers are. So if you want to train, like maybe that's where you go get your, you know, your pistol repaired. Cause you were out hunting when you got pulled into this world and you have a rifle, you know, or whatever. So it's like, yeah. you could really mix and match the towns and have it be these personalities throughout any era of history of like, what is going on? Oh, the founder of this town was, you know, so-and-so and, and now everything is, you know, that's why they live underground. He was, you know, this is where Tolkien ended up after he got pulled, he made Hobbit and you know, whatever. So, I, I like the idea that you go into the realm and then you leave the realm. 
Like you get to go home. Like you said, Nolan, you get to go home. You get to say, okay, how long am I going to be here? And and like, obviously when, when you read the very first graphic novel for legend lore, it's a mistake. They didn't mean to go there. It was, uh, they're visiting one of the, one of the kids' uncle, like who had passed away or something. And, and I can't remember. It's been a, a couple of years since I read it, but they open a, ch- open up a chest, which is like a, a portal to the realm and they're there and somebody get one of the girls gets kidnapped. I mean, it's very tropey, very tropey, mm-hmm. but it was still, you know, good to read. I enjoyed it. Uh, and I like the idea that, okay, we went in there, we had this adventure. Now I'm going home and I'm genuinely going home. Uh, and it's like, you know, when I think about like when I was younger and I read a book, that was my, ex- my escape. That was my opening up this book and transporting myself to that realm for whatever amount of time that I got to spend in it. And that's that's what legend lore feels to me. And and I like the fact that they did. And I, and I will say I've been personally to myself and I haven't voiced this a whole lot kind of critical about it because I was like, oh, gosh, they're just, you know, jumping on a bandwagon. But they didn't. And I feel like they've done this very well. And, and I do like seeing, you know, the dwarf in the wheelchair. And I do like seeing, you know, the, the changes in, 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 and including every, you know, if somebody, no matter who you are, if some kid at a high school, no matter where they come from, opens this book, they're going to find someone that looks like them. Right. And I like the idea that, that this says, we don't care who you are. We don't care what your disability may be. We don't care how you identify. We don't care any of that stuff. This is a place for you and you can play in this realm and you can have the magical adventures that everybody else is having and you can thoroughly enjoy yourself. Oh, and you can go home at the end of the day. I know I, that it's, it's interesting seeing how this kind of stuff has influenced things as well. Uh, Ari Salvatore did the Spielwilder's tale. Um, and it is a, like a, a trilogy of uh, a kid who goes out back, reads a book and wakes up and he's in a, a parallel realm. And so like the, you know, the castle in England also happens to be the castle uh, in this you know world as well as where the bad guy is. And so when he goes, eventually when he goes back, he wakes up and it's like he took a nap for a few hours in the woods, but he's been gone for months. Uh, he goes and visits those castles and he can see these parallels and it like it really trips him out. And like, so it deals with him being in college and then all of a sudden he's a husband. And then all of a sudden they're like throughout life, he gets pulled back because, you know, he's he's the spirit wielder. Like they need him. Years have passed. Like everything we did has gone to shit because you know, you left. And so he's gotten to pick up these pieces. Now he's older or stronger or he's trained for it or he can't find a way back. I'm trying to think of what other ones did a good job of, uh, pulling like, you know, again, you pull yourself in, how long are you gone? You get to be here. Uh, enjoy it. So, Oh, it's, it's a neat idea. I like it. I think I think one thing that tabletop RPGs rarely emphasize is that you go home, um, and that's a part of that's been a part of like human literature, like our traditions. That's that's a big part of it. I mean the the tragedy of Achilles, despite all of like the harm that he's going to do to everyone around him, is that he had to choose. He can be remembered throughout history, or he can go home. And he has to fight every single person looking at a shield and emblazoned on it is a reminder of home and he can never go home again. The whole, the best part of Lord of the Rings is when the hobbits go to the Shire and they find that war has returned, like war came here. 
they brought it home with them. Well, what and the, then, the whole story and, is there and back again, right? Yep. And then, and they, they brought the war back and they have to deal with that, but they can't really, it's different now. They're different. And they had to return home. And that's the ending. You know, Frodo realizes that he can't go home. He has to go somewhere else. He has to find a new place to live. And I think a lot of tabletop RPG games don't emphasize that. Like, you finished, you defeated the dragon, you got all the gold, but the adventure continues, right? You're going to marry the princess, but then there's going to be a new threat. Now you've got to deal with that. I don't think a lot of things just be like, no, like, look, you're going to do your best, but then you got to go home. Or have that be a motivation, right? I, th I think yeah. that's an interesting thing of like, if I sit down at the table or whatever, what are we gonna, I want to slay dragons, get treasure. I don't have any other plans than that. It's pretty freaking simple. I'm going to let life happen and I'm an adventurer. This is what I'm doing. I'm a you know caravan riding, bounty hunting, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so again, making it personal, making that kind of stuff. It, I, I, I think you could have some really awesome RP or, you know, sections with this. Are either of you familiar with the 1939 short story, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? It was also a 2013 film starring Ben Stiller. That, that was really written that far back? Yes, it was written by James Thurber in 1939. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, just quick, quick summary, a very boring person. Mitty is a very boring person. And like... An example is he has to go to the dentist and in his mind, he has this wild adventure just to go to the dentist. The movie uh, kind of takes on that same thing and you get to see a lot of it as uh, uh, Ben Stiller's character, Walter Mitty, is doing these things. To, he works for Time, if I remember correctly, it's uh, Life Magazine and he has to get this image because Life Magazine is changing a lot of how they do stuff. And he has to go out and find um, this photographer to get this image. Um, anyway, it's a love story, and like he has all these adventures in his mind. And what is role-playing, right? When we all sit down at the table, it's all of us sitting together. It's our friends sitting together, and we have these adventures, these shared adventures in our mind. And so what I like is, and the reason I'm talking about Walter Mitty is because it's it's Mitty. It's this person doing these amazing things. And I think with a game like Legend Lore, we get to see us do these amazing things, right? When I play Legend Lore, I can be Patrick, this, this fat, frumpy goofy ass person who suddenly knows how to use a sword. I'm not this svelte barbarian, you know, or dwarf in my case that is built like a brick shit house everywhere he goes. No, I look like me and now I'm a dwarf, but it looks like me and it's me and I get to play me. And, and I know sometimes, well, a lot of times we play role-playing games because we want to be that, you know, that brick shit house. We want to portray that person because it is so different than us. But sometimes it's nice to be comfortable in your own skin and have that fantasy element to it. And I think legend lore is kind of tapping into that. We always have the conversation right. in our house of the matrix, right? Your ideal self. What a, in my mind, that was always like, dude, if you could develop that and turn it into a retirement home, how perfect, right? If my, 
if my dad could plug into the matrix and play catch as his ideal self with his great grandkids, instead of being a 96 year old, you know, who can't barely move because of our threat. You know what I mean? Like just that potential of what if I guess with that there, and we see that a little bit with video games. Like I know, like I'll probably be 60, 70 year old playing, you know, world of Warcraft and hoping my grandkids log in, but I can still function, you know, versus some of that stuff there. So I think, I think this stuff becomes more apparent um, because if we sit down and we play, if we don't know each other and we join a group in world of Warcraft and we're all playing in a dungeon together, if you're a dick, you're out. Like there is no, like, I have to be nice to you because I know you in real life. There's like, you know what I mean? Like there's this little social thing. And then who I, I play video games with a bunch of people. I don't know. I have no idea what they look like. They are their avatar to me. Do I know them more so than I know like you guys? Because I know them only on personality. I know them only based upon actual talk. There is no look. There is no. So again, like you said, your ideal self, big moral of the stories. This is why I don't have a problem with plastic surgery. If it helps you take the inner person and bring them out to show that to the world, I don't care. It's no different than dieting and working out. You don't like who you are naturally. So you're trying to fix it so you can feel better because you're not that person on the inside. You want to bring that out. Go fix your teeth. Go have a hair transplant, whatever. But the person inside is what I get. If you lose your arm, you're not less you. And I think that's what this here story tells you. Like you're not less of a person. You're not less capable. You're limited by the realm that you live in. Here you're not. And so I, I, again, I think it's really cool. I think it's, it's a great idea. I see it in a lot of different video games I play and whenever we have social interactions dealing with toxic people, I'm not going to group with that person again. He's, he's at the core. A bad person has nothing to do with what you look like. It has how you deal with people, how you treat people. So again, this here, it just adds more to that thing of, again, my takeaway moral of the story is how I build character is going to be a little bit different going forward because of this idea here, just to, take something super personal and put it into the game, not create something like that way you can experience it. Have 1% of your character be super personal. I got kids at home. I got to feed. That's why I'm an adventurer. I can't die because I they die, right? Or you have a family member at home that's sick that you're trying to do something. Like we can all relate to that. We can make that personal. You're a lot more cautious with your life. You're not chasing down the dragon. Like maybe we can sneak through this. Maybe I don't want any trouble. I just want to get home to my kids. How do I do that? Well, you got to go get this here, here, and here, and here. Perfect. Let's do it. Let's be smart. I have one life to live. I got to get home to my family. They need me. Let's do this. It's a whole different thing. It's like, I want my name to be remembered throughout history. I'm, you know, so-and-so the paladin, right in justice. Right in... Nobody talks like that, man. Shut the fuck up. No, no. I'm not. My profession is an adventurer. I am an adventurer. I hatched out of an adventurer aimed, fully armed and fully grown with nothing but a lust for blood and gold. I'm third generation adventurer. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Some adventurer lay, uh, laid a, a giant egg and I popped out. All I have is my rapier and my pistol. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to fight and kill. Like, I, I think I, you can, like, I think you can only play that character so long before it gets a little boring. Right. Yep. I will, I will say to the, uh, the other cool thing in this here, um, as far as just, uh, standout thing they did away with inspiration dice and there's a legendary pool which i think is fascinating and so you can come in and the dm is very hands-off and so you have these pools of like this is my destiny i am going to find excalibur i am going to defeat the enemy and i am going to go home 
that's my destiny. And so as you role play the game, we're working towards that destiny. Some things may take you out of line of destiny, but if you get these air quote legendary dice, inspiration dice, they go into a pool. You're like, okay, well, the boat's sinking and there's a bunch of sharks out there. And you're like, I'm going to reach in that legendary pool and I'm going to chuck the dice. I'm like, fuck no, I don't do sharks. This isn't in my destiny. And the DM's like, there are no sharks in the water. You can find something to float on. Take one of your legendary dice. Go fulfill your destiny. And I thought like that kind of stuff too. Again, so many times we get into those situations where this kind of gives you a nope card. If it crosses a line, if it crosses a boundary or whatever, you know what I mean? Like some of that stuff there, but having a pool inspiration so everybody can reach their their destiny, I thought was, that's a cool take on it. That that feels like it was pulled directly from they came from beneath the sea. Because you have the... Those. Yeah, you have that ability and they came from to say like you're facing a total party kill and be like, nope, hold on. We're going to pull from this pool. We got out of this. We can't talk about it. We can't say exactly what happened. We can say things like, I didn't know you could do that with a chainsaw, uh, yeah. but that's it. But you survived. We're all sitting around the table after the world, the, the place is destroyed having shawarma. Right. Exactly. We don't know how we got there, but we got there. We did it. Okay, Zach, what about you? Let's let's have your final thoughts and then we'll go ahead and wrap up uh, because we are way over time today. I think I've said everything that I need to say uh, about like the shared destiny legendary dice thing. I know some people have a problem with like meta currency. I'm fine with it, whatever. Like, I think, I think it I, adds to it. I think it does add to it of it just being like, like you can easily come up with an in-universe reason of like, yeah. hey, you can feel your destiny upon you. But you can only like you might be able to dig deep and pull something out, but it's going to take something that you'll never get back. Like, I think you, you, no, again, I explained, you see that. I explained, stuff, right? Yeah, I explained why the party can reach in and roll an extra two d twenty. Like this I is the moment. Fine. This is what I was made for, and yeah. there's nothing like critically failing in that moment. And you know, like yeah, there's it, it there's plenty of systems that use them. I like. I think it's fine. Um. Again, if this isn't an on, if you don't like Onyx Path sensibilities, like their design layouts, the kind of subclasses that they want, um, you're not going to enjoy the book. But if you do, you're really going to like it. It's a it's very Onyx Path. It is. Yep. Well, cool. That is our show for this week. I will say before I sign us off here, um, Legend Lore is not currently available. It is not on Drive Through RPG yet. It has been, the PDF has been issued to backers. I know, like, I just got an updated version of the PDF this week, which means they're still making some minor corrections. Uh, of course, Onyx Path has mentioned they've been very transparent about the shipping woes and how a lot of their books that have already supposed to have shipped will not be shipping until 2022. Legend Lore is, of course, in that camp of books that'll be shipping. Oh, dude, I'm going to get a big box. Like, at one point, there's just going to be a massive box on my doorstep, and it's going to have all my Onyx Path books in it, and it's going to be like Christmas, and it's going to be awesome. Awesome. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, that is our show for this week's folks. Thank you so much for listening. We we sure appreciate. I love looking at the stats and seeing people from all over the world, all these new people that we have coming to our show. We hope you enjoy it. Please leave us a comment and let us know what you enjoy about the show. Or if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, let us know or a game that we, we haven't discussed. Let us know. We'd sure like to, to find out what you would like to learn about until then. Thanks everybody. Bye. Bye everyone.